Uh, we've been going through a series of sermons called, as you see, well, it was on the screen, called The Costly Journey. And in it, we've been looking in Luke's gospel. I'm trying to catch some of y'all up. Imagine some people have missed church. So I just want to want to catch y'all up a little bit on what, what's happening. You know, we started out uh, with Jesus in 951 in Luke saying, I steadfastly set my eyes towards Jerusalem. And then we started talking about some of the stories that Jesus told on that costly journey where uh, he tells us that we think it's going to cost us to be his follower. I mean, he says that uh, right before he starts to this march to Jerusalem, anyone who wants to follow after me has to die to self daily and follow him. You know, taking up a cross, we, well, that didn't resonate for us so much. We don't know what being crucified means, thankfully. But we can maybe understand this concept of dying to self daily. So, so we have to give up things like our status. We have to give up things like our love of wealth. We have to give up things like who is our priorities and, and, and giving up our busyness. We, we talked about all those type of things. And so as we march along this road to Jerusalem, we, uh, we're talking about, well, what's it mean to follow Jesus and and what does it cost us? And well, today, uh, we're going to read a, uh, another passage of Scripture right before Jesus enters in um, to Jerusalem. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He, meaning Jesus, also told him this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm here to tell you that there's danger in this story. There is something dangerous in this story. So watch out. Okay, watch out. Be, be aware of the danger that is in here. So boom, it's going to be coming. Okay, okay, all right. You ready? Boogeyman going to come out from behind the organ or something? Just watch out. Be ready. There's danger here. It's lurking. Okay? This is a parable that, that Jesus is telling uh, in the midst of him talking about prayer. Right beforehand, we see this wonderful parable that Jesus tells uh, about this woman who wants to have her case settled. She wants to have her, herself made right before the judge. She wants to be justified, you see. And the judge is, well, he's not the most righteous of fellow. He would rather not deal with this poor widow. But as Jesus says in there, because of her persistence, this unjust judge said, okay, I'll hear your case. I will make things right by you. And then he goes on to conclude that parable. If, if even an unjust judge will listen to somebody who's persistent and they're asking, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you as you are persistent in your prayers? And this parable is linked to us by this masterful storyteller, Luke, because the word justified is used in both, both parables. Because in this one, this lady was seeking justification or seeking to be made right. And in this one, well, both these fellows that come before 
the Lord in the temple want to be made right? And one is and one isn't. So what is, what is going on here? We are so used to downgrading Pharisees. I mean, when we hear the term Pharisee in this day and time, say, oh, yeah, we know that's a bunch of religious stuck-up people. We know those are folks that just think they're better than everybody else. We, we know all that. And, and we think of tax collectors. Well, you know, those, are, those aren't too bad of guys. You know, uh, you know, Jesus liked those folks. So let me put it in modern terms for y'all, okay, just to help you a little bit. You may have heard this before, but just to remind you of what it means to for people in this day, in, in Jesus' day and time to hear that because this is a shocking comparison. The people at first heard it gasp, what, really, you're kidding me? All right, let's equate the Pharisee with a good churchgoer, someone who was there every Sunday. In fact, this person is so well thought of in his church that, well, he was a Sunday school teacher. He was somebody that knew the Bible very well. People said, you know what? The preacher doesn't know too much, but let's go to this guy and, and talk to him because he knows his Bible. He went on mission trips. He supported the church very well. He's a, someone that the preacher liked to have coming to church because did you hear what it said? He tithed. He gave 10% of all his income uh, to the work of the Lord through the church. And uh, he was one of these guys that was the first to turn in his faith promise card on Mission Sunday. I mean, he was a super-duper church member. And in the community, oh, he's so well thought of. He was a member of the Rotary Club. He volunteered with the Boy Scouts. He helped coach Little League Baseball. He's someone that your children would like, you would like your daughter to marry. Whoever laughed over there, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is an upstanding fella. I mean, everyone looked up to these guys. The tax collector, well, you know, it is tax season right now, and we all have that on our mind, and we may not think too much of right now of the IRS, but these government employees are doing their job. They're honest and hardworking people. So let me equate what a tax collector was like back in Jesus' day. He, was a, he would be equated with a collector for the mob. He was a guy that would go from door to door and say, hey, you don't want something bad to happen to your business? Well, then you pay me and we'll make sure everything's going to be okay, okay? That was this guy. He was a guy that went around and made sure bad things didn't happen to you because, well, if you didn't, then forcers are going to come and maybe do some kind of bad to your business or to your home or to your person. And people like that, well, you don't like them, do you? That's who these tax collectors were in the minds of the people of that day. So we have this good, upstanding Pharisee and this hated tax collector in this parable. And the end result has to be pretty shocking. See the danger in there yet? See it? Okay, let's keep going. The Pharisee comes into the front of the temple, and he prays a prayer that says, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other folks. And we might look down on that prayer, but that was a common prayer for Jewish men. They would say this, Lord, I thank you 
that I'm not a Gentile or an ignoramus or a woman or a slave. That's a, that was a prayer. We see that recorded. So he's not doing something too out of the ordinary. He said, you know, Lord, I'm thank you. I'm not like those other folks. And before we get too high and mighty about that, we get smug ourselves. Haven't we ever said, Lord, I thank you that I wasn't born on that other side of the track or that I, I'm not homeless or I don't live in that country. We ever been, you know, we might have said a similar prayer. But then uh, it gets to be problematic because he says, Lord, you know, I... I'm a good guy. I tithe. I, tr- I fast twice a week. You know, Lord, I, I, I've done so much for you. I have earned my way uh, into your good graces. You know, when I think about what life's going to be like after I die, I have got it all stored away in the heavenly kingdom. I have got myself prepared for your glory. Now, I feign to ask this question, but does this sound familiar, like a story that you might have heard a few weeks ago? Does, remember that? All right. Remember two weeks ago, I asked you to remember the, the story from the week prior. And when I asked you to nod your heads, even those of you online uh, got crickets. So I doubt you remember from two weeks ago what we talked about. But two weeks ago, we talked about this rich guy who said, you know, I've got it all together. I have, I've made so much money. I have done all this stuff. I have got my barn so full, I can take it easy because I've earned all this stuff. And in no regard did he say anything about being thankful or his position in light of who God was enabling him to get all these things. And it's the same thing here. This guy is saying, I've done this. I've made my way. I've fasted. I've given. You know, God, aren't you lucky that I'm on your side? There's nothing in light of who he is before God. Nothing is said there. Is that the danger? Maybe. And then there's this extortionist. I'm going to use that term, not tax collector, because we don't get that. But you, you know what an extortionist is. You know, someone's going to go around and, you know, get some money from you by hook or by crook. And trust me, all the mob looked like choir boys compared to what the Roman Empire was, okay? Remember, the Romans crucified people. So, here's this collector for the mob, and he goes into the temple. And note, it's not his synagogue, it's the temple. Because this guy is so unpopular in his hometown that he can't go to the local church. I know if he stepped through the back door of that church there, he'd say, what in the world is this guy doing here? I mean, I mean it, we may be so nice in our, our setting here that we wouldn't tell him to leave, but we would sure look at him like, what are you doing here? So he, he didn't feel comfortable going to his local church. But there's the big cathedral. And he walks in. And Jesus is so knowledgeable, he didn't place... Je- the man in the synagogue, he knows that he has to go to the temple. And there in the temple, overwhelmed by the grandeur of it all, this temple that Herod had built was truly magnificent, covered three football fields. That's how big it is. And he goes in there overwhelmed by the grandeur of the building and by this sense that this is the place where God Almighty lives. 
And he realizes who he is in light of that God. And he just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, it's this one who goes away right with God. It's this fella. See the danger yet? Okay. Scripture is replete with examples of contrite people being made right with God. This isn't something too out of the ordinary. Remember in the affair with Bathsheba, David is approached by Nathan, and here is what David says in response to being told, you're the man. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me. Create in me a clean heart. For here's a sacrifice acceptable to you, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Isaiah 57 says this, The Lord dwells in high and holy places and in the hearts of all who are contrite and penitent. And there he will uplift the hearts of those who are this way. And we all know the story of Jonah, I think. You know, we know about the whale, but the story ends with the people of Nineveh hearing the fact that they need to change their ways, and they do repent. They are sorry for their sins. They are contrite, and God justifies them, makes them right. You know, I think most of the people within the sound of my voice, either y'all watching on line or in this beautiful place, when we look at ourselves, I think we, we say, you know, I, I'm not what I ought to be, don't we? I think most of us do. I know when I look at my own life and I look at who I am in the light of who God is, I mean, wow, I got a long way to go, y'all. Don't believe me, ask my wife. Uh, yeah, 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 I got, yeah, I've got a long way to go. And here's the danger in the text, though. Here's the danger that we say this, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. We say that, you know, I know I'm pretty humble, Lord. <laughs> you know, I, I know I'm contrite, Lord. And we walk around thinking to ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm humble. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm blown. I'm not like those Pharisees. I'm not like those rich trick folks that are hypocrites and walk around like that. No, I'm not like that at all. And boom. The tail has been twisted, and we are just like that Pharisee for any time, any time we compare ourselves to somebody else, whether we think we're too high or we think we're too low, we've done what the Pharisee has done, and we shot too low. And C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful way, makes fun of us who like to take pride in our humility. In, in those delightful letters called the screw tape letters, you may have read them. He has uh, the, the demon uh, worm, screw, screw tape writing to his nephew Wormwood, and he says, now, whenever your victim begins to think of himself as humble, make him, make him think that he's pride in his humble humility. You know, make him think like, you know, I'm a humble person. And then if he ever thinks to himself, you know, I'm being a little prideful of my, my humility, then make him think that, well, I'm proud of the fact that I notice that I'm humble. But he said, don't carry this on too far because he'll begin to get what you're talking about and he'll start to laugh at himself. You know, 
That's a good place to be. Not taking ourselves too seriously. Being able to laugh at ourselves, even as we look at ourselves and think, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm too good a guy, you know? Because you see, what we're trying to do is make ourselves right in the sight of God through our humility. And the only thing we can rely on is the mercy of our Lord. That's the only thing we can rely on, is the mercy of our Lord. So even when we think we're being humble and contrite and when we're being remorseful, we can't even rely on those things. All we can rely on is this mercy that we hope to receive. Jesus puts on the lips of this uh, tax collector, this extortionist, this beautiful prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is the oldest Christian prayer. You might have heard it. There was a song that even went, uh, went to the uh, words of it. It was some tune. I forgot who wrote the song, actually, but it's Kyrie Eliaison. You, you may have heard that. Kyrie Eliaison. Lord, have mercy. And we in the church have expanded that to what is called the Jesus prayer. It goes like this. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. A sinner. It's on the screen. Imagine that. Thank you, Sam. Can we say that together? Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're about to share in the sacrament of Holy Communion, a, a beautiful reminder of what we're going to commemorate this Friday on Good Friday where Jesus offered his body and blood for you and for me so that we sinners uh, can be made clean. And what a wonderful prayer to have on your heart as you approach the sacrament, approach the table of our Lord. In fact, Sam's going to leave it on the screen to remind you, I think, um, of what you're to say. So as you're walking down into receiving communion today, say these words in the quietness of your heart. And as you say those things and mean them, that mercy will be yours. After communion, I wasn't here for the announcements, I was back playing with the kids, but I, I think you might have heard that you're to bring down your 30 pieces of silver offering. I, some of you all have been diligent in collecting uh, this offering, remembering the times that you've betrayed uh, our Lord. And there'll be uh, receptacles down here that you drop them in after communion, because you're going to be led in this. There's going to be something that will happen um, after communion. You're going to hear the story of Christ's passion, or at least parts of it, and hear about Judas. Hear about Judas. And the band's going to play a song, and then you're going to be invited forward to drop your offering. And if you don't have that, then hundreds you know, will be, $100 bills will be fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> drop whatever, you, any change you have. It's a sign and a symbol of the times you betrayed Christ. And I got a bag full of them. What about this Judas? You know, what about him? As you'll hear Harold read in the Matthew's account of this, uh, Judas, well, he betrays Jesus. We know that. But in Matthew's telling of it, when he hears that, when he hears that Jesus has been arrested and is going to be condemned to die, he goes, and the 
Matthew tells us he repents. He repents. But it's interesting that what he does afterwards, he takes his own life. Or apparently, he cannot believe that there's mercy even there for him. I wonder, I wondered, don't you, if Judas hadn't did what he did, and he'd gone to the Lord and said, Lord, have mercy. I've got to believe, don't you, that there have been mercy even for him, don't you? I sure hope so. For I know in my own life, I've betrayed my Lord through my, my impure thoughts, through my hasty words that have sometimes come out in anger, through my selfish actions or my in, uncaring inactions. So in those times, I have to say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For to rely upon anything else except God's mercy, well, to rely on anything else except God's mercy, well, that'd be a very dangerous place to be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.